All right, so we're in the book of Mark. Go on and turn there, because uh, because of the brevity of today, I'm, I'm going to have like the shortest sermon ever, right? Um, let me ask you a question. We're in Mark 6. And for those of you that are new, we don't do this every, every Sunday. We don't, in fact, the last time we did something like we did this morning was uh, 2015, August 2015. Um, we usually go through books of the Bible. Mark 6. Let me ask you a question. Could overexposure to the familiar lead to an underwhelming obedience in your life? Could overexposure to the familiar lead to underwhelming obedience to Jesus in your life? Here's a quick illustration. My grandmother, she's been in my, our, our house ever since I was, I can remember. Uh, when I, up until I was four, she lived next door to us, and then she moved in and lived with us until she passed away at 94. So she, we, would do color, we would do coloring books every day after school. She pretty much was second mom to me. Um, I went to physical therapy school. I graduated. I was in school for like seven years, right? And, and then she, she has a shoulder problem. It's my grandmother that's known me since she was changing my diapers. And so she asked me about it, and I tell her what to do, and she doesn't believe me. Because what could I know, possibly? I was just a kid. I'm kind of still just a kid, as far as she could tell at the time, right? She didn't really, yeah, I'm sure that's good advice, but I, I'm not sure there's much credibility there, because I know who you are, right? I, I know what you're capable of. I've seen you lose it. I've seen you lose your temper, kind of like our spouses, they really know. If you want to know who you are, just ask your spouse. Here's who you really are, right? They're not afraid to tell you. We can do that with Jesus. That's what we see today. We can do that. We can find ourselves rarely stunned and awed at who he is and what he's called us to do. Here are three points for today. Number one, follower, not familiar. Number two, participant, not observer. Number three, obedience, not results. So follower, not familiar, participant, not observer, obedience, not results. Let's run through that together. We, and you, you and I, we are called to make disciples. That's what Jesus called us to. That's what the Great Commission was. It was the last thing he said before he left. No matter your station here in life, whether you're in middle school, whether you're starting a career, raising five children, or entering in retirement, or you've been there a while, your calling and your purpose is found in knowing God and making disciples. Jesus is modeling that for us here in Mark. Uh, we see him as he's teaching and he's heals, as he casts out demons, as he calms storms. And the people have been astonished at his teaching. They've just been marveling at, at what in the world? Look at him. Look at him do that. Look at him. He said, oh, that's so much wisdom, right? But now he comes to his hometown of Nazareth. And in chapter 6, verse 2, we see the questions start to roll in. Where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is this, this is, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters with us? He's got two sisters. He's got four brothers. I mean, wasn't he here? Didn't you change his diaper? And they took offense at him. Interesting. So instead of the people's amazement continuing, now people's hearts are starting to harden. And it starts at home, which is a hard place to deal with that. They're offended at his wisdom and power. Does that make sense? I mean, what led them to this? What, does it make sense to be offended at Jesus' wisdom and his mighty works? What could be going on in a heart that would lead it this direction? They knew Jesus. 
they knew Jesus. They watched him grow up, just like all the other nondescript boys that are working on farms and in stonemason shops and carpenter shops. And like my grandmother, who still viewed me as a little boy who couldn't possibly be able to solve the medical complexities of her shoulder, they saw him. Who does this pretender, this poser, think that he is? We know who he is. Something's off, and even though they can't really explain it, they're convinced to the degree of being offended by Jesus, that he isn't who he says he is. And at first, you know what, my reaction, when I read that, my first reaction is indignation toward them. How dare you? This is Jesus. This is the king. How dare you think that? And so I get this kind of self-righteous attitude of, you better believe Jesus, You who think you've got it all figured out, you think you know everything so well that you're telling the king of glory that he's not that, that you will not receive him in your heart, that you harden your heart toward him, that you treat him as a common domesticated person that's just like everybody else. That's the first thing that rises up in my heart when I read that. And then I do a heart check and try to ask the question, why do I think that? (laughs) And then my desire to throw stones at them, to be justified in my anger at their lack of Belief is echoed in my own heart. And suddenly I go from being angry at them to pitying them because they're missing out. And compassion wells up in me. And I'm still angry at the action. But I can understand I do the same thing. And we as a church church, have the same capacity to miss Jesus, to be so familiar with Jesus' stories and the trappings of of church. We know how this goes. We know what church and religion is about. We know that there's three songs, and then there's a scripture reading, and then there's a video, and then we sit down, and then the guy says stuff, and then we get kind of squirmy, and then we sing another song, and then we pass a plate, and then we sing a song, and we go home. We know how it rolls. The familiarity with the system, which, what's, what and what is not culturally acceptable, and what happens is we miss being stunned at God in the flesh presently living and abiding with us right now, calling us to worship and to be on mission, just like he did with his disciples. We get caught up in the process and we miss the person. Because we know how Jesus is. We know what he'll do. He's like this. I like Jesus. I like to think of Jesus like this. He agrees with me. I'll tell you this, if if Jesus agrees with everything you do, then it's not Jesus. Jesus. Well, we have the Bible. How has he called us to live? When in truth, that's how you get a, a hard heart. It, it misses the power. It misses the presence of the risen Christ. In verse 5, it, it says he could do no mighty work there. Do you want to miss the power and the presence of Jesus? You ask that question the way that I did so that your heart screams, no, right? Or, no, that's like a loaded question. No, I don't want to miss that. He could do no mighty work there. Don't misunderstand. It's not that he, he, he couldn't because he lacked the ability. That's not what the Bible is saying. Omnipotence, being all-powerful, right? Omnipotence is not omnipotence if it is bound by anything other than its own will, period. Jesus just doesn't force his presence or his power on any. Anybody that's unwilling to receive it. Matthew 13 is clear. It says it's the same event, and it's recorded parallel. And Matthew says it a little bit differently. He says, and he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. 
Now, understand, this is not their lack of faith like you and I would think of lack of faith. Um, oh, I want to believe, and I'm trying to, Jesus, I, I, help my, I believe, but help my unbelief. This is, I'm not interested. You, you grew up right here. You're no different than I am. That's a different kind of lack of belief. That's not a struggling faith that wants to believe. That's a dismissive faith that's got it figured out. Up to this point, wherever Jesus is gone, people marveled at him, right? Now in verse 6, he marveled at their unbelief. He's doing the marveling. There's the marveling. He is astonished. That's scary. <laughs> Jesus, the Son of God, is astonished. It's got to take something. Here's what amazes him. Not their sinfulness. It's not, it, it doesn't, he's, not a sin, he's not astonished at their propensity to evil, or their sinfulness, it's their hardness of heart, their unwillingness to receive him. That's the real problem. So have we domesticated Jesus, becoming numb, never stunned, never in awe, never on our face, assuming that we know how this religion thing goes and falling into a rut controlled by our little and sad, puny expectations of who God is and what he's going to do? I know that I do. I just get used to stuff. It's one of the biggest effects of the fall is we get used to stuff. We can stare at a sunset and a weekend, we're tired of it. We can go to Nepal and look at Mount Everest and go, that's pretty cool, fly around it, be amazed. A week later, I've seen that. It's a result of the fall. I don't want Jesus to be amazed at our lack of faith as a church body. We must see him as he is and, and not as we think or, or we would like him to be. So it must be, we must be followers and not just familiar with Jesus. Number two, participant, not observer. See, the difference between a follower or, or a disciple, a follower and, and someone that's familiar with Jesus is that followers participate in and not just observe Jesus' calling. That's what we see. Jamie, that sounds guilt-ridden. No. When you really see Jesus, when you really spend time with him, the result is that you want to follow him wherever. That's what we're going to see. Verse 7, we see Jesus call his disciples, his followers to him, he says, and he, and he sends them out two by two. And remember, we talked about this in, in chapter 3. Disciples do two main things. They are to be with Jesus and to be sent by Jesus. They are to be with Jesus and be sent by Jesus. Help me out. Say it out loud. They are to be. Yeah. It's real simple. Be with Jesus, sent by Jesus, right? That, that's discipling. That's what we, we, we do. It's what he's modeling. It's what he's showing us. And so here's the time he talked about in chapter 3. Chapter 6 is where it's unrolling. They've watched Jesus. They've listened to Jesus. They were with him. Right? He modeled how to advance the kingdom to make disciples. He was with them. He was doing teaching. Uh, he explained the par- pulled them over to the side and he explained parables to him. Here's what this means, blah, blah, blah. And so now he's calling them, come alongside and participate in advancing the gospel with me. Because I'm going to use the church to, to uh, show the manifold wisdom of God right there. You're going to start that, right? And what you're going to do, you're going to follow my model, and you're going to extend what I'm doing times 12. I'm going to be with you. It's going to be fur- weird at first because, you know, i got to go, and the Holy Spirit's got to come, and that's how that's got to work out. But this is the model. You are an extension of me moving out the kingdom. That's why there's a commission that happens there. It's a commissioning. That's that's. Objective, that is uh, like formal language to, to let you know that this is an extension of Jesus himself, the Acts of the Apostles in the Holy Spirit. Like this, the book of Acts is Jesus still moving. That's, that's him still rolling out. It's through people now. And so what Jesus does, he does three things right here. He, he, uh, 
gives them kingdom authority over the unclean spirits, which is evidence of the new kingdom power that's going to come. He told them, take nothing for your journey, right, except a staff and sandals and a tunic. And, and that's so that they'll be fully dependent on him. And they won't be relying on anything else other than him and how he's going to provide for them. And finally, they, he says, be ready for rejection. Be prepared. You're going to have a kingdom authority, and, and you're to take nothing with you because I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to provide for you through the people. But I want you to be ready for rejection too. And then he sent them two by two. And I'm not going to spend any time on this because we talk about community all the time, and I don't have time today. But he didn't send them one at a time. He sent them two by two to be in a community because when you deal with rejection, you must not be alone. You're not designed to handle it. And so when you isolate yourself, all you're doing is just heaping up condemnation on yourself. And you won't make it. And that's why we love community. God exists in community. I'm doing it, right? I'm doing it. I just went into it. I'm going to move on. You must not be alone in this broken world that's full of rejection. Jesus' disciples did not. He didn't model it that way, and we can't think that we're above it. Moving on. So he calls the 12, and, and, and they've, they've heard some parables. They've seen some healings. They've seen some miracles. In your mind, are they ready to do this? Three chapters of it. I mean, actually, two and a half chapters, right? Are they ready to go? Are they, have they gotten their PhD yet? They've been in seminary? Do they understand how the Holy Spirit works? Do they even know what the Holy Spirit is? I'm going to guess not, all right? Here's what they know. They were with Jesus. They were sent by Jesus. To be, an, to be an extension of the kingdom. What does sending them out in this stage of their understanding about God and his kingdom teach us? Jesus is okay with it. All right, you ready? I mean, you're not alone, really. I mean, what encouragement would this be to you in your school, in your workplace, in your home? I'm not ready to be a dad like this. I didn't know nobody modeled it well for me. I don't know how to lead my family in worship. I don't know how to do this in the cubicle over here. I mean, I, I, I don't know what that guy that preaches on Sunday, I don't know all that stuff. Yeah. Jesus, be with him. You're sent by him. Go with what you know and then trust him. Don't take a staff. Don't take, don't take it. Don't take what you would lean on. If I could just read enough books. Boy, I did that all through my 20s. If I could just read enough, then I would prove that I know enough, and then people that are older than me would listen to me because I would prove that I know enough because I thought that was my salvation, intellectual knowledge. Is it wrong? No. Am I glad I did that? Yes. Am I sad for the reasons that I did it? Yes. I should have done it for joy and not for identity. See, the fulfillment of the word of God depends not on perfection of the technique, not on the mastery of the information or the general competence of the missionary, but on the authoritative call and the equipping of Jesus. That's where it rests. They had been with Jesus, they were sent by Jesus, and that's enough. It's on the job training. That's where you learn it. Oh, that didn't go well, did it? Nope. Are you going to just quit? No. This is my life. This is not just a job. This is who we are. Mission is a lifestyle. It's not an event. It includes events. But it's not limited to an event. And so the disciples are going to continue to learn. They're going to improve their skills. They're going to mature in their faith. They're going to sit down in the classroom of Jesus. They're going to learn the things. But they don't wait until they get there. They're just sent. And what this shows them is that Jesus, Jesus says, hey, what? you know what? I'm doing the work, not the disciples. It's about my power, and it's about my glory, not you. And it's Jesus that is extending his kingdom. And that's why Jesus can say, as the world is going to hate you, you know why? Because it hated me. And I'm being extended, and so you're going to get stuck in the middle. Because what they really hate is not you, it's me. 
and everything that I stand for. This is what the disciples do. So they don't just study the Bible and listen to podcasts. They don't just go to church and sing songs and attend a group. They're sent by Jesus in all of life, taking the message that changed their life to others. It's easy to talk about things that have changed your life. You may not do it great. You may need practice. Okay. (laughs) Guess what? I think we're doing that better as a church even this year. You know, in the last three weeks, we've done four block parties. And I say, we, I've only been to one. And you know what I did? I rolled up a bouncy house. That's all I did. Because you're getting it. You're starting to see that we're reaching out and we're extending the gospel through displaying and declaring the kingdom through the everyday means of life. The convoy of hope is a block party on steroids. Right? How can we take what's on steroids, take away the drugs, and, and make a block party out of it and create a regular rhythm of blessing our community? regular rhythm of blessing our city so that when we extend a cup of water, a.k.a. a bounce house. Would you like to pray? How can we pray for you today? You know, nobody gets offended at that. They don't want to do it. They just walk on by. That's what we did yesterday. Nobody was made to pray. I worked hospice for for 10 years. It's the best place to go. Can I pray for you? Nobody says, no, I'd rather not. Well, maybe once or twice. I'd rather not have you pray for me. Even if they don't believe in it, they're like, what could it hurt? Like the disciples, we will learn, we will improve our skills, we will mature together, and we will celebrate what God is doing. Finally, obedience over results. This isn't just about the results of being sent out. Because, you know, when the the disciples were sent out, and they were healing and and putting oil on people and seeing them healed and demons were getting cast out, right? you got to see the difference between, between the disciples getting sent out and John the Baptist. They were both sent. The disciples see amazing fruit. John ends up in prison. Well, that doesn't seem like the gospel. Keep looking. It is. Both are following Jesus. Both are obeying. And both have a call unto death. Because it's about obeying Jesus. It's not about the results. We're talking about joyful obedience. You know what that is? I didn't know what that was growing up. I didn't know that was a thing. I just thought that was something I had to do. I, I, I connected words like dutiful, obligatory, have to. That, that, that was what was like right in front of the word obedience. Or else was in there sometimes. You know, I better obey my mom or else, you know. Better obey God or else, you know. He won't accept me or he'll kick me out or I'll, he won't be happy or I'll get the frown of God. You know, whatever it is. Joyful obedience is what we're talking about here unto death gospel flip, right? That doesn't make any sense. And so it's this obedience that comes from a life-changing power flowing from being with Jesus and community to reach the world around you. I mean, it's like talking to somebody that that loves Star Wars and you've never seen it and they won't shut up about it. Well, if you knew, this is back in 77. I mean, I was this age. It's the first movie I've ever seen. They know everything about it because they love it. It just comes out, right? It's about our obedience. It's not about the results. If it's about results, then John the Baptist is a failure. He died in jail at the whim of a personal vendetta, an afterthought that happened out of a party of happenstance, right? 
And look what happened. Look at King Herod toward the end of 6 there. King Herod had put John in prison because he was saying, it's not, he would say out loud, hey, it's not life lawful for you to have your brother's wife, your brother Philip, half-brother Philip that's still alive, and you're like, you took his wife, he's still alive, and now she's married to you. That's not in God's law. And so Herodias is, is the wife in this, in this instance. It's Herod's wife. She wanted John dead to rid her of the headache of having to listen to him and, and having to face her sin, right? Herod had a complicated relationship with John. Like he, he feared him because he knew he was a righteous man and he was holy and he was respected among the people, and yet he's this great irritation to him. Just, if you would just shh, I'd leave you alone. Just hush. Go display the kingdom. Do not declare the kingdom, okay? If you'll just talk and, and, and just talk, but not here. Go do that over there. And so for Herod's birthday, Herodias, her daughter performs this dance for nobles and military commanders, leading men uh, of Galilee. And in reward, Herod overspeaks. Maybe he'd been drinking too much. Maybe he wasn't thinking. We don't really know from the story. But he promises anything up to half the kingdom. You know, it's always a good story when you get that promise thrown in there, right? Like, oh, sure, you know, I'll take the kingdom, you know. And so she asks her mom, what should I ask for? Oh, we've got a great opportunity here. Head of John the Baptist. He's been a burr under my collar for a long time. And that easily, John's life was decided. In verse 26, even though Herod was sorry, he wasn't sorry enough at the expense of losing face in front of dignitaries. And John would pay the ultimate price, a seeming waste. See, Jesus prepared his disciples realistically for the rejection. Do you know why the story of John the Baptist is where it is? You know why Mark put it right there? Because this is a flashback. The reason the story is told is because people saw Jesus and thought, That's, that might be John the Baptist resurrected. That's why he's going, and he goes back and he tells this story. He's a master crafter of story. And if you'll notice, Jesus sends, the, sends them out two by two. He tells the story of John the Baptist, and then verse 30 says, and they came back and told Jesus all they had seen and done. It's stuck right in the middle of the mission. Why? Well, his martyrdom certainly points to Jesus' crucifixion for sure. But it also exemplifies the consequences of following Jesus in a broken world. What Mark is doing is he's impressing on us the cost of discipleship, that John the Baptist is a case study in extreme rejection. The courage of John is costly, and so is true discipleship, not just familiarity. It will cost you. It's not easy believism, where you get peace and joy in heaven all you want, and, and nothing changes, no repentance of sin, no confession, no, I want to follow Jesus, for, and he's worth everything in me. See, we're called to be with Jesus and to be sent by Jesus, but we go in the manner of Jesus. John the Baptist did not experience healing. He didn't experience deliverance. He followed Jesus holding fast to his death. He didn't miraculously walk out of prison with an angel like Peter did. He entered into the suffering of Jesus. And he counted himself worthy. He just couldn't believe that, that he was being conformed to the image of Jesus. And that only makes sense 
in the light of Calvary. When Jesus walks the same path, he walks the same path of undeserved suffering for us. He didn't deserve it. Being conformed to the image of Jesus does not bypass the suffering of Jesus. We're instructed to take our cross up daily. Persecution is the evidence of gospel advancement. Where did you hear that, Jamie? I was in India last week. I want to tell you more about that. I've got so many things to tell you. I want to talk about combo. I hope to I explode. I want to talk about India until I just implode. I've got to go the other way. So at first hand, I, got to, I was blessed to sit down with, with several pastors more than one time and different pastors from different regions where we have been part of contributing to wells in those areas. I got to see wells that were there two years ago and see the change in the village. I got to go to a live drilling where it was actually happened. So I saw the, the village before and talked to people before the drilling happened. And I got to see people that were two or three months after the drilling. We got to ask them about their recent persecutions. I got to see the pictures on their phones of their friends that were being beaten. He's like, oh, watch this. You can tell me his name. Yeah, he lives over so-and-so. He just got out of prison. This is what they were doing. There are 40 active cases right now to one of the Christian lawyers that I had dinner with. He says, I've got 40 active cases in the last two months of pastors that have been flogged or put straight into prison. See, it's not illegal to be a Christian over there. It's not illegal to have the church. It is illegal to convert. And so what pastors end up doing out of fear, most of them is just talking to believers and then not talking to anybody else. And that keeps you off the map. Unless you're misunderstood, because there was one pastor who a lady asked him to come over to her house and pray for her daughter who was sick. And so he did that. He went over there. A neighbor saw him and was a, a, of a radical group and assumed that he was going over there to convert. And so they called the cops. Cops come beat him, put him in prison. He didn't know. He didn't know he had any rights. And so there's a Christian lawyer that knows the law. And they almost have like this Navy SEAL Christian team. I don't know. They go into like the, the precinct and they start arguing with them. They teach them how to fill out the forms that they have to fill out and how to walk through all the, the red tape. He's got 40 right now. This is one man. It's not even his job. Pro bono. He's like, I can't afford to do it. I'm trying to teach other people how to do it. So we're saying, hey, how can we pray for you? We're from America. We've got it all figured out. I didn't say that. I didn't say, how can we pray for you? Because I don't know how. And they told me when I came, never thirsted, they would encourage the pastors. I'm like, what am I going to say? You're awesome. We don't know what this is like. I mean, I could, I've got verses and we can use that. But I'm like, I'm sitting in front of a guy that's been beaten for his faith. And I'm supposed to encourage him. Here's what they asked for for prayer. See if this strikes a bell from when we were going through Acts. Would you pray for us to be strong and, and bold? Sure. <laughs> Anything else? That, that our people would understand that persecution is good. That means something's happening. That means the gospel is advancing. They, they get that because they know if they don't have that, then they're just going to go convalesce, atrophy, dry up. 
And so we need to pray for our brothers and sisters over there. I'll talk more about that next week when we do elder-led prayer, when we focus on the persecuted church. We just didn't have time today. I'll just explode about that. Where does that kind of faith come from? That's what we want to know. <laughs> that's what we want to know, right? That, that's my take home from, from going over there is go, give me some of that. I want to bottle it. I want to reproduce it. Where does that kind of strength, that kind of fearlessness come from? Those kind of desires. It comes from a resurrected hope. A hope in the resurrection, the resurrected one, from being with Jesus and being transformed and being sent by Jesus. From the beauty, see, the beauty of the gospel is that it really does change you. People really can change. They can be different. They're, they're new creations that go from death to life. They're awakened. There's, there's this darkness, then light that comes, and you are different, and you are continuing to be made different. You're being conformed to the image of Jesus. It's not about you finally figuring it out or getting it right or learning enough or doing it this certain way or using this method. Those are great things to do. They are not life-giving. And so we see that this is all about Jesus from Convoy of Hope to going to India to pastors that are suffering. What we are doing locally, regionally, and globally is about the kingdom of God. It's about Jesus expanding his kingdom, advancing the gospel. That's why we do what we do. It is why we are who we are, and therefore, out of who we are and who we've been made to be and what we've been given, therefore, flows how we conduct ourselves in this life as we love one another, learn to love our neighbors and ourselves, and serve one another like Jesus served us. That's how, that is the mechanism of the kingdom going forward. It starts with one conversation and it ends up with a convoy of hope, but that's an event that should be a big picture of what we do little every day. That's how we live, right? And so Jesus, here's where the gospel comes in on this because our persecution is just different. It just is. It may be resentment. It may be shame. It may be you lose a job. It's different and it's not unimportant and it's not, oh, it's not a big deal. I'm not dying for Jesus. Those are the real Christians. That's not it at all. God put you here on purpose, there is a reason, and it's not to the level of emotional anxiety to which you are successful. It is about being where you are, who you are, called to do what you do, and through obedience and joy that has been with Jesus and therefore overflows, and the obedience just says, how can I serve you, Jesus? I just want to be closer to you. I want this, this, this county, this city to be different and be changed. I just don't want to follow the path of least resistance. And so we, we follow anyway, and we have the courage of John the Baptist and the pastors in India. Why? Because the resurrected one's acceptance of us puts to shame any earthly rejection. Because of how Jesus has been on the cross, took our place, and therefore God accepts us with a smile. He doesn't tolerate us. He draws us in as sons and daughters. That that is the ultimate cosmic acceptance. We can, we can push away. We can shun. We can eschew earthly rejection. And it doesn't phase us if you've really been with Jesus. That's where these guys are living. That's where we can live. If it's available in India, it's available here. Because it's the same God. And so we say that. So let's pray. We've got three on, on the board. If this is your first time here, we, we pray. 